few years ago, I drove a black convertible Oldsmobile with a diesel engine. It was, a, it was a fancy car. My friends made fun of me. I remember driving to Austin to see Baylor <clears throat> play the University of Texas in that, and all our you know, people loaded in there. Thought maybe that'd help us. Uh, it didn't help us. We put the top up and came back, and it was, we went up there celebrating. We came back looking like a hearse, uh, <laughs> like we usually do when we leave Memorial Stadium. But one Sunday after church, I was, I was nearly out of gas, and I was in a hurry to get to a noon engagement. So I drove down Mulberry here to, to St. Uh, Mary's, right there to the entrance to the, to the park, and I pulled in there, and I jumped out, and I filled my automobile with gasoline, super unleaded gasoline. <laughs> I got in the car, and I drove out of there, and I got to St. Mary's as I was going toward the expressway, and I suddenly realized what I'd done, and I pulled over to the side on St. Mary's and stopped. Went over there to a pay phone and, and called my friend Bob Bomer, from whom I'd gotten the car, and I said, Bob, I made a mistake. I put regular unleaded fuel in that diesel engine. Will it work? He said for about five minutes, <laughs> and then your engine's going to be ruined. Just stay there, call the record service, they'll come pick it up, we'll bring it in. So I sat there on the car waiting for the record service to come. It was Sunday afternoon, beautiful Sunday afternoon, thousands of people headed to Breckenridge Park. There I was, and, and a, a group on motorcycles came by <laughs> and saw me sitting there. And they stopped. One of them said, they recognized me from television, and they said, came and said, well, preacher, are you having trouble? Can we help you? And I said, well, I don't think you can, but I'm broken down here. And I told them, I was embarrassed. I told them, told them what I'd done. And they said, well, that's too bad. And I know they thought I was just stupid to do that. They said, well, uh, we got room here. You want to get on the back? We'll take you somewhere. We'll take you home. <laughs> I said, well, thanks just the same, but I've got to wait here for the, for the record to come. Well, the point of that, uh, of that story illustrates what I want to talk about for a few moments this morning. You know, the man who designed that engine designed it for one kind of fuel and one kind of fuel alone, diesel fuel. And if you don't put diesel fuel in there, you're going to ruin the engine. Or it may make you, a, you may make a mile or two down the freeway before the thing burns out, but you're going to ruin it. Now, the same principle applies to God, the great creator. The man who created that diesel engine created it with the idea that there was one fuel that would make it work. And when God created you and created me, he created us as individuals, and there's only one fuel that's going to work in your life and in mine. The divine diesel of the power of God is the only fuel that will make life propel itself down the freeways of it and expressways of daily living. You try to put something else in there. Money, drugs, sex, fame, whatever it might be, you try to put something else in there and you're going to burn out your engine and you're not going to make it. 
Pascal said there's a God-shaped blank in every man's heart that can be filled only by God. I can paraphrase Pascal to say there is a God-shaped tank in every one of our souls and it can be filled only by God. Only by God. I think this helps explain a passage of Scripture that is a mysterious one to some. If you have your Bibles, it's the sixth chapter of the Gospel of John and Jesus is talking to the Jews. He had just completed one of his miracles, the feeding of the 5,000, and the subject of bread was on the minds of people. The 48th verse of John 6, we hear these words from our Lord. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread which comes down out of heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread also which I give, I shall give, for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews therefore began to argue with one another, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus therefore said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man, and drink his blood, you have no life in yourselves. Underline that. No life in yourselves. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Now, don't get caught up in some crude literalism here that turns this into some kind of horrible carnage. Jesus is saying something more than the literal definition of these words. Jesus often used figures of speech, metaphors, to communicate divine truth. The Bible is literally true. It is also figuratively true. When Jesus said, I am the door, he didn't mean that he was literally a door. He meant that he was to life what that door is to this room, a way to come in to life. When he said, I am the salt of the earth, he didn't turn into a pillar of salt. He was talking about he was in life what salt does in life. It purifies it. It preserves it. It flavors it. It seasons it. So the Bible doesn't always mean what it says. Sometimes it means what it means. I am the true vine. Well, he didn't turn into a vine. He was saying, I am the vine. I am to, to grapes and to fruit what the vine is. I am the source of energy, the source of life that helps create fruit. So this helps explain the statements of Jesus in the 26th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. I'd like you to turn there if you have your Bible. 26th chapter of Matthew. Here is the Lord's Supper, the last supper, the last Passover. And I'm reading from the 26th verse on of the 26th chapter of Matthew. And while they were eating, Jesus took some bread, and after a blessing, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, 
Take, eat, this is my body. And when he had, and then he had taken, and when he had taken the cup and given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Now, let, look at it. At that moment, the bread in Jesus' hand and his body were two distinct objects. The wine in that cup and the blood in his veins were two distinct objects. He was not saying that that bread was literally his flesh, nor that that cup was literally his blood. What he is saying here is that this is a picture, this is a metaphor of what I am to you when you by faith ingest me and I become part of your thinking, I become part of your emotions, I become part of your desires. I, you must take me inside you. Let, let me use an analogy. I have here a picture of my family, my, my children, my grandchildren. And I carry with me, I have a lot of other pictures in here of, of my billfold of my family. And I say to someone, this is my family. This is my wife. These are my children. And these are my grandchildren. Well, this is not my wife. These are not my, this is not my children. This is not my grandchildren. This is a picture of my wife. A symbol of my wife. A symbol of my children a symbol of my grandchildren. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying here. This bread, this wine, is a symbol of what I am and will be to you as the bread of life. Now let me move on. Bread, let's talk about it for just a moment. Bread was made every day. It was eaten at every meal. It was made of a combination of, of wheat or barley flour plus water plus salt plus leaven. And then it was kneaded, it was worked, it was folded, it was pressed, it was stressed, and it was put in the fire. I am the bread. Stressed. Pressed. Heated in the furnace of a cross. I'm the bread. Unleavened bread. Let me take a quick biblical detour here. Unleavened bread. Leaven was some bread that was left over from the day before that was put into the new bread that was being made so that it would rise. Now they ate unleavened bread. When they had the Passover experience in Egypt, when God delivered his children out of the bondage of Egypt, he said, you will make unleavened bread. You will not put any of the bread from yesterday 
into the bread you're making today. What he was saying was, symbolically, you are a new people. You're going to leave the old Egypt of your life behind. You're going to be born again. You are going to experience exodus. So you do not bring any of the old stuff with you. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away, and all things are become new. After they, after they came out, they began to, use unle- began to use leavened bread again. In fact, in Leviticus, they would use leavened bread in the worship services, the observances in the tabernacle and the temple. They would have two, they would have two loaves of bread. They would have leaven in them. But they would not put those two loaves on the altar. They would just wave them over the altar because that old leaven, that nature of man, that old sin symbolically reflected in leaven was, was not put there. So, you see, the Passover occurred and then they began to observe the feast, uh, the week of feasts or what we know as Pentecost which means 50. 50 days after the barley harvest, they celebrated the wheat harvest. 50 days, Pentecost, from Passover to Pentecost. So this this bread that Jesus is giving us, he's taking the old unleavened bread of our lives and he no longer waves them over the altar He, because he became sin for us, he took our leaven and he went to the cross and he died on the cross so that our lives have now been placed on the altar of God and are cleansed by the grace of God. The cup. The grapes are picked and they're crushed. Either in a wine press or more often in a great big vat people would get in there barefooted and they'd walk around on those grapes, crushing those grapes. And this was with great celebration. They'd have musical instruments there and dancing and singing because this was the harvest. And here they were walking on those grapes. Jesus said, this cup is my blood picked, crushed. Listen to Isaiah. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment of our sins was upon him. And by his wounds, kneaded, folded, pressed, fired, crushed, By his wounds, we are healed by the grace of God. One quick word. It is important to note that we do not take wheat and grapes in their natural form. We do not take wheat and grapes in the natural form. They have had human hands touch them. They've been made by human hands. They've been walked on by human feet. This is a marvelous symbol of the incarnation. 
God was in Christ, but Christ was in Nazareth. He was carried in a woman's womb, a virgin's womb, born, worked in a carpenter's shop, and went to Hebrew school, and was taught by teachers, and played games with his brothers and sisters and friends at school, and he taught, and he preached, and he performed miracles and he was buffeted, and he was appreciated, and he was criticized, and he was acclaimed. He was tempted. He went through all of the vicissitudes of life that you and I experienced. He was God incarnate. He was touched by human hands. So this bread and these cups have the touch of humanity upon them. He is the God-man, holy God and holy man, in one, the mystery of the incarnation is revealed even in the elements that we use to remember him. And he is incarnated today in your body and in my body. Even with all of the leaven that is there, he incarnates himself into us and we his individuals and his church are his body a divine combination of the wheat and the grapes, crushed and touched and plummeted by human hands. Jesus looked at his disciples and said, Take, eat. It was not an invitation, it was a command. Take and eat. A good friend of Martha's and mine told us just in the past few weeks a remarkable story. A friend of ours was invited by a friend to attend a worship service in, a, in another church, in the, in the friend's church, and she went, and, as she, and she went, and they were observing communion that Sunday. And our friend, uh, with her friend, were seated about halfway back in the service. And when they passed the bread, no one took any. Everybody took the plate, passed it on. Took the plate, passed it on. Came to our friend and she looked at it and thought, well, maybe you're not supposed to eat the bread here. So she passed it on. Same thing with the cup. It was presented, distributed, but no one took any. Just looked at it, passed it on. Looked at it, passed it on. And she leaned over to her friend and said, why is no one taking the bread or the cup? And her friend said, because none of us are worthy. Well, she was right, but he is worthy, and we are not here in our worth, we are here in his. We're not here because we're sinless, but because he is. And he looked at those disciples, those frail, fragile human beings like you and I, and he said, take it and eat it and drink it 
because I want to be the fuel, the divine diesel in your tank. I thought of the great passage of Scripture when I thought of that sad event in the life of that church. Fifth chapter of Revelation, the 12th verse, describing the angelic hosts. It says there are thousands, yes, 10,000 times 10,000 angels surrounding the throne of God. Can you imagine? And they were singing, the scripture says, in a loud voice. Can you imagine what 10,000 times 10,000 angels singing in a loud voice, what it, would re- what it would be like? It will reverberate throughout all of creation. And what are they singing? Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and glory and honor and strength. Worthy is the Lamb. We're not worthy He is worthy, and to him be all honor and glory and praise forever for coming incarnated, the God of the eternal ages incarnated for us that we might be saved by God's grace. The venerable John Duncan was a professor of theology at the University of Edinburgh in Scotland. In the Church of Scotland one Sunday morning, they were observing communion. And Dr. Duncan was about the fourth or fifth row back. And as they began the communion service, a young lady immediately behind Dr. Duncan, elderly man, devoted Christian, profound teacher, heard her crying. And she was saying more to herself than to others, I have sinned. I have sinned. I have sinned. And as the bread came, Dr. Duncan looked around at her and said, Take it, lassie. It's for us sinners. Take it, lads and lassies. Take it. It's for us sinners. Worthy is the Lamb. Deacons, will you please stand? For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you, broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Do this in remembrance of me. We do this now, Lord. For you have told us to take and eat because of your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.